crew members and either welcome or welcome back to At Least There's a Dog, a Star Trek Enterprise review podcast in which we will boldly go episode by episode through the Star Trek series that, whatever its flaws, undeniably has the most dog. We are your hosts, Mandy and Josh, and on tonight's show, we will be discussing season four, episode 11, Observer Effect. It's just Observer Effect and not The Observer Effect, right? That's correct. Okay. Observer Effect. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. I was not expecting, once I figured out what it was fairly early on in the episode, that it was going to be that good, but uh, that felt like a good old classic Star Trek episode. Oh yeah, no, it was a good old classic Star Trek episode. It really would have fit into any of the series. Yes. Um, But it was also well done. And it was an ensemble piece. We haven't had one of those in so long on Enterprise. It makes it so hard to choose who's the the Travis Mayweather of the episode. It does. Um, But But I guess we'll discuss that when it's it's time. We will. We will. But yeah, I like that. It's been... You know, we, we've been seeing some good stuff, that whole Vulcan trilogy. Yeah. Uh, we had an off episode last week. We did. And uh, good to be back. Yeah. And, you know, enter- it's it's fine. Ensemble episodes aren't really Enterprise's thing, especially not now in the fourth season. Um, they've had some episodes with some really good guest stars, and they've had some episodes with some exciting plot lines that mostly involved the like the big three, pretty much, sometimes the big four when they decide to get flocks in there. Uh, But they remembered for this one that they have a rest of the main cast. Everyone got to show off. They really did. Good acting all around. I guess we're starting to plus it already. We are starting to plus it already. So should I tell the people what the episode was about first? Do it. All righty. So this was Observer Effect. We open on a scene with just Travis and Malcolm sitting in the mess hall at a chessboard together, which should be our first sign that something isn't right in Enterprise (laughs) world. Their conversation quickly reveals that they are pod people, possessed by non-corporeal aliens who hang out around a particular planet to observe other species. Observe what, you may ask? The psychological effects of the crew realizing an incurable silicone-based virus is in their midst. Tucker and Hoshi are the lucky victims this week as Phlox begins a race against the clock to figure out a treatment for the virus. The pod beings, in the meantime, must follow a directive. You might even say a prime directive. I'm sorry, I just can't get... Did you say silicone-based virus? Did I? I think so. Well, silicon. (laughs) You know. It was not a breast implant virus. (laughs) That would be a different kind of episode. (laughs) Anyway, you might say a prime directive. Do not interfere, but merely observe. Will Phlox find a way to save Tucker and Hoshi? Will Pod Travis and Pod Malcolm be discovered or violate their own prime directive? Does fourth season Hoshi backstory make up for or make any headway into her almost total lack of character development for the last two seasons? The star of the show, Porthos, is surely thankful to not be the one trapped in a decon chamber with an alien virus this time. (laughs) Remember a night in sickbay? Yeah, that's, yep. Weren't those fun times? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not in this episode, it's okay. Yeah. Porthos wins the Mayweather Report. Ooh. No, No. I don't think we wanted Porthos to... No, we can't do that. But anyway. What would have happened if one of them had possessed Porthos? Uh, they would have learned compassion a lot faster. 
<laughs> they would have been overcome with an all-encompassing adoration for Jonathan Archer and cheese, and they would have been very confused. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Let's uh, teach those Organians the value yeah. of cheese. Yeah, the Organians. I felt so clever at the end of this episode. Oh? Because I was like, I've heard of the Organians before. They've shown up on Star Trek. I feel like that was an original series species. And then I looked it up and it was. And this was actually, I thought, a really clever prequel mm-hmm. to that episode. It's... Because in the... Uh, what's the episode they're in called? Like, Aaron, Aaron of, Mercy? of Mercy. Yeah. In that one, don't they, like, stop a war or something like that? The Organians? Yeah. Yeah. They stop a war between... Uh... Earth and Klingon. So they're and, still yeah, Klingon. So they're still super advanced non-corporeal aliens, but t- by the time we reach the original series timeline, they've become like basically benevolent angel beings. They've gotten better. They've gotten better. Hmm. And in this and in uh, in Star Trek world, benevolent angel beings are good things sometimes. <laughs> You're thinking of Babylon 5, aren't Maybe. you? Maybe. If you haven't seen Babylon 5, go see Babylon 5. Yep. You will learn about not good benevolent angel beings. But anyway, these are good benevolent angel beings, but this is them before they learned how to be benevolent angel beings. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. I hadn't even thought of it quite in that, that fashion, but yeah. Yeah. the um, It's an interesting take on a premise that has definitely been done on Star Trek again and again and again and again and again. Both in the sense of non-corporeal aliens interfering with stuff and also deadly alien viruses that they have to raise against the clock to cure. Because part of the reason that I was worried about the episode when it first started, when I realized what was going on, was like, of course nobody's going to die. Everybody's got main character protection. Mm -hmm. And of course the humans are going to be special because the humans are always special because this is Star Trek. But we didn't really... We mostly focused on it from the perspective of the pod aliens this time. And that was a way of doing this plot line that they don't usually do. Yeah, it was it was interesting. It was. So now that you've already talked about Errand of Mercy, uh-huh. want, a, want a little bit of trivia? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I hope your trivia wasn't about Errand of Mercy. I was going to, but then sorry. I had to change it. Sorry. It's Not too good. sorry. It's all good. Not sorry at all, actually. So, do you know what the observer effect is in quantum mechanics? No. <laughs> you brought this cool. on yourself. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> oh, it's... Just... All right. Tell me all about the observer effect in quantum mechanics. It's... Is it about how if you observe quantum mechanics, you'll go insane? <laughs> When you observe something, you change it. Um, oh. The whole, like, uh, I mean, you know, you've got your, your trivial sort of non-quantum example. If you check your tire's pressure, you're slightly changing the tire's pressure. Because mm-hmm. you have to take some air out to, to check it. Yep. But in quantum mechanics, it gets way weirder. Um, where measuring something, even if you measure it in such a way where you don't modify it whatsoever... Um, you still can affect the outcome um, because of the whole way that wave functions quote unquote collapse when they're observed. Um, So you can get quantum interference effects that disappear when you start observing them more carefully. So for example, the quantum double slit experiment, do you remember that? Have you heard of that one? No. Okay. I'm sorry to be scared. I I understood so little of what you just said. (laughs) 
but maybe this will help. Um, when you shine a light through two closely placed uh, slits, uh-huh. um, then you get this interference pattern past there. You would think there's two holes, you'd get two spots that light would go to uh-huh. when it shined through. But no, you actually get this, like, lots of different lines. Um, and that's based on the interference where uh, the light goes through both slits at the same time, but only... Sort of, possibly, it's just the wave function goes through both of them and interferes with itself. And so you get this cool pattern. Um, but if you're able to tell which slit the photon of light went through, the pattern disappears and you're back down to two, two spots of light. Um, it's really weird. Like with most things in quantum mechanics, it's really confusing. My best understanding of this is that we as observers are also part of the great wave function that is the universe. So... Um, there is no like special place that, that observers have that, that changes the laws of physics. We're all just part of, part of the physics and, uh, it makes it seem weird because we're observing it from within its own weirdness. That made very slightly more sense Okay. than what you were saying before. <laughs> I'm not going to say that I get it. But I think I get it enough that we can roll with it. Yeah, and if you want the the stupid, like, simple, not uh, not really practical thought experiment version of it, yes, please. Schrodinger's cat. Ah. It's neither alive or dead until you observe it, and then it's ah. one or the other. Ah. Hmm. Really, we had to go with Schrodinger's cat for it to make sense to you. I mean, I guess I guess there's a reason that these thought experiments you yes. know, are well known. These people come up with thought experiments because they help people understand things. <sighs> okay, yeah. <It's>, observer <laughs> effect would be Schrodinger's cat is is an example of an observer effect where the observation changes the state of the system. Okay. And this episode had nothing to do with that. And you nope. know what? That's okay. Yes. I don't mind if they pick out a cool sciencey sounding name. Simply because it sounds cool and kind of fits thematically. They either didn't know what the observer effect is, or there might be a different kind of observer effect that they were referencing otherwise. Could be. I, I think they Because knew... I, could, I could imagine this also being a thing in psychology. I'm not going to look it up right now because I'd rather speculate about it. I could imagine it being a psychological <laughs> thing of like the impact that observing something terrible can have on the observer. Oh, interesting. Maybe. I'll look it up after the episode. Let me know what you find out. Maybe we can throw on a little a little tale if I come up with something cool. Okay. Or maybe somebody can write to us about it. But anyway, if that is all, I believe that means that it's time for Faith of the Start. Faith of the Start. In which we ask ourselves one increasingly not simple question on a scale of 1 to 10. How much did the theme song ruin the cold open? Yeah. Eh, is correct. Yeah. I gave it a 3. I gave it a 2. Honestly, I was... Like I, the the effect, the full effect was a little bit messed up, with you turning to me and being like, "That's not uh, Travis and Malcolm," and I'm like, "You're just figuring that out," and <laughs> so I, see, I didn't get the full experience of it having been a long. But see, while. that was the thing. I thought that long the cold. Road. I thought that the cold open was like cool and well put together enough that I kind of didn't care what the theme song was doing this time because yeah. I was too busy processing the cold open. Okay. So, so, so yeah, the, 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 the little jingle jangle long road didn't, didn't really affect us. Yeah, long road failed to have much of an impact this time, mm -hmm. which is fine. 
Yeah. I feel like they've been getting better at not making that transition horribly awkward. Or maybe it's just having less of an impact on us. I think the season three had a special case where it's like (laughs) feet of the earth is, is in the balance at the end of every opening credit. Or at the end of every cold open. It's true. It was a little bit different when every episode was like, because I've got faith in the nukes. I'm going where the nukes will take me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This one, you know, much lower stakes, but cool. Yeah. Very much so. Shall we head to pluses and minuses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You want to start or should I? Sure. Um, I really liked how they first introduced those aliens to us. Can we just call them the Observers? Yeah, that works. I really liked how they introduced the Observers to us. Um, Over their chessboard, they did it in such a way that it's very clear from the beginning that it's not Travis and Malcolm. But for people who maybe haven't been watching the show, they flat out told you by the end. It took me very slightly longer to figure out that it was not Travis and Malcolm. I think in part because I was so surprised at, oh, we're starting with Travis and Malcolm. Mm -hmm. How nice and interesting. (laughs) And then they started their weird dialogue about chess and all the different variations of chess. And I was like, this is not how Travis and Malcolm talk. Yeah, no, neither of them are chess geniuses. No. It was, yeah. They're, They're not big enough math nerds to be having that conversation over a chessboard. Nope. So, yeah, that was a clever way of opening the episode. Um, this was a Mike Vehar directed episode. Mike Vehar remains one of my favorite sci-fi TV directors. And this was, again, a pretty good showcase of why, especially in the way that this episode used lighting. This was a surprisingly, like not even in a bad way, but a surprisingly unpleasant episode to watch. Like not, not even in the Uh sense, not in the sense of like, I want to turn this off because it's really unpleasant, but in the sense of this is really making my skin crawl a lot. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's it's about people dying, which is not pleasant. It is, but even when you kind of know, and like, and you do kind of know in the back of your head, like they're going to be okay. They're in the main cast, Mm -hmm. at least in this incarnation of Star Trek. But just, there was so much, there was such an overall atmosphere of unpleasantness too. And not even like despair or like, or anything like that. It wasn't like sadness. There was no sadness involved. It was just like, this is making me very uncomfortable. Interesting. And it was, I think a lot of the way that the episode was shot, it was using a lot of close-ups, a lot of like off, a lot of like very off angle close-ups that made everything look not quite right at all times. The way that the lights would shine on Travis and Malcolm's face, faces in particular, where it always just made both of them, but especially Malcolm, look like a little bit too pale, a little bit too waxy. Huh. Like they weren't quite themselves, funnily enough. My absolute favorite lit scene was uh, when Hoshi has her breakdown and Tucker has to go and find her, and they're just illuminated in that really like overpowering red for a moment that was so intense that it even registered to me okay hmm interesting so yeah it was a good like i don't want to call it a horror episode but it was a really good atmospheric episode can i can i give you my my take on the direction for this episode sure um 
yeah, it, it definitely had a unsettling um, direction on it. Yeah, there were a, a fair number of handheld shots, like the yes. opening chest shot was a handheld. Yes. Um, but I think that they were overall going, going for the theme of being observed. Yeah. Um, there were a huge number of shots looking at um, a computer screen showing video from somewhere else on the ship. Yes. Um, there's this pervasive like surveillance feel. Which also, because it made everything look smaller and boxier, gave it a really good claustrophobic feel. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really neat. It was. Good job, Vehar. Yeah. You did it again. And And it was also not uncalled for because... So much of the episode is being remotely observed because there's a quarantine and people inside the quarantine aren't allowed out and vice versa. Yep. Yeah. So that was cool. I think I think we are te- technically on you. Oh, okay. I'll take it. Um, as we, I mean, we already discussed a lot of this. Even by the the first act after the cold open, every character, every main cast actor was in there. With mm-hmm. the exception of T'Pol, who did come in later and and played quite well. Yes. It, you know what? I'll just go ahead and say it. Everyone played very well. Everyone was good. It's true. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, let's let's give extra credit to, um, to you know, Reed and uh, Mayweather. Dominic Keating and Anthony Montgomery Anthony got Mon- to shine Anthony in this Montgomery was, was great. Yeah. This might... In fact, I'm pretty sure I can say this is my favorite performance of his on Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a shame that he has to get that by playing not himself, but that's how it goes. But the thing is, he's also you can also give him credit for doing a good enough job of creating the character with the material that he's been given, that when he shows up and is off in the Travis Mayweather uncanny valley, you can figure out easily enough, that's not Travis Mayweather. And I'll also and also major credit, like I, I assume that when they shot this, uh, you know, Anthony Montgomery and uh, Dominic Keating created the, per, you know, did the first Observer characters. Then everyone else who played an Observer character picked up on all the mannerisms. Yeah. And so you could tell who was being possessed by who. Them, they had them down. Yeah. The like, the kind of like, overly nosy too curious not quite human way they had of interacting with the but i mean also the two characters are totally different there's there's the the one the older one who's just this is how it is someone always dies and then the other one who's like maybe someone doesn't have to die yeah and they're they're distinct characters placed on top of other characters and it it was really cool and they did it very clearly yeah they really did i had something else clever i was gonna say and then i've oh yes this was a huge improvement over this may not have been the last time that malcolm reed was possessed by an alien but the time that i remember most recently when he got to deliver the classic line are you a female i am a male (laughs) this was a possession upgrade for malcolm reed (laughs) yep yeah um oh we're on me uh that stole one of mine that's okay um 
Oh, that shot where um, the observers have just taken over Flocks and Paul, and we go to the window of the decon chamber, and they're both just there, mm-hmm. kind of staring in. That was creepy. I was wondering if they were going to pick up on, like... One thing I, I liked uh, was that uh, the crew did not take the questioning from the observer-possessed people you know, well, they're like, no. no, let me do my job. And I appreciate that. Yes. Um, and I was wondering if the crew was going to pick up on this. Like, I think there's tri- something going wrong. And I think Trip and Hoshi were probably both too sick to register that something was that off. But uh, hmm. like, I felt like when they were, when the observers were talking to flocks, he picked up pretty early on that something wasn't quite right. Yeah. Yeah. Even when Observer Reed came in and was just like, I have a headache. You could kind of tell from the way that Flox interacted with him that Flox knew something was off, but just couldn't quite put his finger on it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, but the, the shot of them suddenly being at the window was just kind of a nice little frisson moment. Okay. I guess that's me now. Yep. Um Trip story about the turkey in the dining table. That was great. <laughs> uh, like, sorry, sorry, Hoshi. We we appreciated hearing some of your backstory, but Did trips was trips was better. He removed <laughs> all the screws from the dining table, and then the turkey got put down. <laughs> and then, and then the best part of it: How old were you? Oh, 24, 25. <laughs> That was such a good, like, it's not that Tucker... It doesn't Tuck- even make sense, but it's a great joke. <laughs> no, it's it's not even that Tucker needs more good character moments. It's just that that was a good character moment in the history of Trip Tucker. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, oh, we're on me. I, in general, liked the interactions between uh, Trip and Hoshi. Again, Linda Park got a chance to shine, finally. And she did I, well. She did. I didn't like the things... Hello, little girl. I didn't like what they gave her quite as much as I liked what they gave most of the other characters because her entire, like, how she got kicked out of the Starfleet Training Center story felt a little bit like an attempt to apologize for the total lack of uh, Hoshi backstory up to this point. And it was like, y'all, we're almost done with the show. You can't suddenly decide to give her character development. That's not how this works. Um, but she played it well. She did what she she did what she was able to do with it, and it gave the two of them a chance to like be friends who talk to each other like friends, even though they're also both dying of a horrible disease. Yeah, yeah. Um, the dog is licking the couch. If any of you are curious, what that sound is? The sedation scene hit me hard. Oh yeah. When. Uh... When Trip has to sedate Hoshi and then has to sedate himself, like when he realizes that's what they're asking. Yeah. And knows that he may never wake up to see them yeah. again. Everyone knows that. Yeah, it's rough. It was rough and they played it real well. And then that was followed almost like, not I guess not immediately, but it was followed very shortly by Flocks realizing what was going on because their conked out bodies sat up and started talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Which again, let's talk about creepy. There was almost like, I don't know, there there was a little bit of like a David Lynch nightmare vibe to this entire episode <laughs> just because of the number of things that started just happening where it was like, well, that's not supposed to be happening. I mean, yeah. 
everything there wasn't supposed to be happening. Yeah. But even just the number of things where it's like, well, bodies aren't supposed to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It created a, you know, a very dream logic-y effect that also added to that atmosphere that I was talking about earlier. Okay. Um, what next? Uh, the scene where, um, okay, we need a doctor more than we need a captain right now. Mm-hmm. Like, he's right. And he uses that to justify, you know, doing the usual thing and sacrificing his archerness. Yeah. And again, we know he's going to be fine. Oh, yeah. He's Scott Bakula. Mm-hmm. But it's still a nice moment. It is. I was... It's the thought that counts. That was a good scene. And then the, you know, immediate following scene, maybe not immediate following, but shortly following scene where he's uh, telling to Paul, you're captain now. Don't let don't, them don't stick let somebody them... in over yeah. here. Yeah. Really well done. Yeah. Um, after the, uh, the, the pod people possessed the corpses of Tucker and Hoshi, who were temporarily dead, uh, once again just deep dive into nightmare logic right there because they're also still in their corpse makeup at that point. So they really did have the feel of reanimated corpses at that moment. Should should we give also props to just general the makeup? Yes, so many props to the makeup. Like, they they did not look well. Which, oh, no. good job makeup people. Yeah. Also good job acting. Good cause... job, Michael Westmore and team. Yeah. Um, wonder if they got any award nominations for that. I don't think so. Well, they should have. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm out because we've covered all mine through. Yeah, I think I think I'm I'm more or less out. Like I've got things that are tangent tangential to things we already discussed. Like I liked I liked the observers, their characters, the way that they clashed with each other. Yeah, they remind there's a there's an original series episode that most people don't like that I do like called The Empath that has, you know, it's it's almost the original like impassive aliens watch how humans or other species react under very dire circumstances. Um and it also had two of them, but the two aliens in that case were pretty much interchangeable. Mhm. Um this felt like a nice progression in the uh, in the observer alien okay, plotline yeah. possibilities. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Good stuff. Um, let's talk about the I assume much shorter list of yeah the of much natives. shorter list of minuses. Um, I did not like Archer basically lying to Tucker about about how much time they had left or mm-hmm. how how dire their situation was. Um, in an episode full of generally good Archer decisions, I thought that, like, you you kind of owe it to basically your third in command to be straight with him in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what if he needs to, you know, get some stuff off his chest, say some final prayers, have some final conversations? Like, if the man is dying, let him prepare himself for it. Okay. At I've... least raise the possibility that he's not going to make it out of there. That's fair. My first big minus was Hoshi's random rampage. Like, it was cool, but also why? 
I guess the virus was affecting her brain. I didn't totally get that either. Yeah, it it did it didn't get explained. Just suddenly, she's not only dying but insane. Apparently, um, feverish maybe. I don't know. Maybe yeah, like you know, it's been established that she's somehow amazing at code breaking, which I guess can work on a door if your door is allowed to uh, do that. Which case, y'all need to fix your doors. Yeah, just no, in I, case Hoshi ever gets possessed again. Yeah, I, I think that was a little silly. Oh, it's just math to to open a locked door that shouldn't be openable from that side. You you've got a bad lock. Yeah, another one of my minuses is as follows: Math is just another language. Was the quote? No, it's not. <laughs> language is language. Math is not language. Math is it the follows, universal language. It fu- No. <laughs> It follows Will we have to a, agree to disagree? Yes. It follows a different set of rules from human communication. <sighs> but yeah, like I, I'm fine with Hoshi having the capability to do that. It just didn't make any sense to me why. Why? Like, and it was never... No, and it doesn't... And, ter- and they never went back to it. It doesn't terribly make sense that she can do this while Stark raving mad either. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess I understand why it was there. Ups the stakes... It helps the pacing, but... And it was shot really well. Oh, yeah. It was shocking. It, when she opened that door, that was shocking. Mm-hmm. But uh, just... As a plot device, it was silly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we on me? Are yes. You? Yes, oh, yes. Okay. Um, I didn't mind this as thought as much as I thought I would, but it's still something that... This is less this episode's fault and more of a Star Trek thing that annoys me a little bit. Of course the humans were going to be special, because the humans are always special, because this is Star Trek. Yeah, I know. It was on my minuses list, too. Yeah, and like, okay, I, I like what And it's what not they... just that we're special. We're special because we have empathy, and sometimes people sacrifice themselves for the people they care about. Oh, if we can briefly go back to pluses... I did actually, even though it was done via a big Kirky speech, I did like Archer's reason you suck dressing down of the observers, Organians, of like, you've lost the ability to feel compassion. Because that is, in fact, literally what had happened. If mm-hmm. you trace the word compassion back to its Latin roots, it means to experience with somebody. And they had established that they, because they can no longer feel things like pain or suffering... Hmm. Um, they had lost the ability to have compassion because they had lost the ability to suffer with somebody else. And because of their uh, their policies, they never got a chance to yeah. experience anything with someone. Exactly. Yeah. And so it wasn't even just Archer moralizing at them. It was also Archer pointing out something that was in fact true and a defect in their plan and their system. Yeah, but... You're, you're right. That was cool. But also... But also... Yeah. There are other species that feel empathy. We know this. Mm-hmm. It, it was just... It, you've been doing this for how many thousand years? Like, don't tell me humans are the first ones to ever do this sort of thing. I don't believe that for a second. Yeah. I, I mean, it's... You could still have that matter for this plot, but... The way you set it up, where he's been doing this for thousands of years and found those species that could... Come on. No. Yeah. Eh, again, it's Star Trek. They weren't going to do anything else. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're nitpicking here. 
Yeah. It was still an enjoyable experience to watch. Um, speaking of nitpicking, um, this they mentioned at one point, talking is a limited form of communication. They said that in yes, they did. Re- reaction to Archer pointing out that uh, they could have just talked to them. Um, if talking is such a limited form of communication, why did you feel the need to possess two, uh, two like knocked out unconscious bodies to have a discussion? Why, why can't you guys just like use your more advanced form of communication? Your, your energy beings. Can't you just would... like telepath with each other or something? Because that would look less cool in a visual medium. But they could have solved that problem by getting rid of that line because it was a silly line. I mean, I was I was feeling that the whole time. Like, why? Come on, they didn't even consider that there was there might have been a video camera watching them do something impossible. In fact, this whole time, given how many video cameras apparently there are on the ship, how many of their conversations were recorded that they you know would deem you know roof people's memory? Indeed, but... and that was one of my other questions. Surely other species have surveillance on their ships. No one, has no one else ever noticed that they were there before? Like, I appreciate for, for our purposes, you know, again, it's a nitpick, but for our audiences, yeah, no, it's great to see the actors talking in characters that aren't themselves. It's really cool. But it doesn't make so much sense for a species of energy beings that shouldn't need to do that. Yeah, it doesn't. But it made for cool TV. Yep. Yep. That's the thing. Ooh, mm-hmm. cool. Um, I'm out. Uh, it is, you, you know, the thing that, that always happens. We knew that they were going to be fine. Yeah. I'd already brought that up, so I didn't yeah. feel the need to another, bring it up Another again. dead crew member comes back to life. Two of them, in fact. Two of them, yeah. Double the dead crew members. Yeah. I but wondered... again, that's... It, it's a small annoyance, but... I wondered if yeah. it would have... Uh, had more of an impact if they had made at least one of the victims not main cast. But I liked that they had all the main cast firing on all cylinders, so I'm not going to speculate about that too much. Yeah, no. It, it was, it was, I liked having all the cast there. Yeah. Yep, same. Yeah, good episode. All right. I liked it. All right, shall we give out some awards? Sure. All right, so for the Mayweather report, uh, gun to my head, I'm going to say to Paul. I said to Paul as well. Yeah, just, she had probably the least interesting stuff to do. She did what she did well. Yeah. Mostly asking about Trip and uh, being possessed. I but... will say, I liked having the old to Paul back. The one who doesn't get stupid and emotional about things at exactly the moment when a Vulcan shouldn't be getting stupid and emotional about things. <laughs> no. um, but compared to everybody else, she didn't have a ton to do. Mm-hmm. This is fine. She's gotten to take center stage in plenty of episodes recently. But if we're talking about who got kicked to the sidelines the most, I'd say it's probably her. Yeah. But even so, very minor. But yeah. we have to choose someone. We do. Can't be Porthos. All right. And then Kirk Award. Every show we bestow the James Tiberius Kirk Award on the character who spends the episode keeping the Star Trek legacy alive by doing the best William Shatner impersonation. And of course, it's Archer. Of course, it's Archer. Because this is an original series episode, basically. Archer, Archer even got to do a Kirk speech at the end. He did. And it reminded us why the Kirk speech is a good thing, actually, when used well. <laughs> when used well. 
when used well. All right, is that a wrap? That's a wrap. Good job using a lot of things well. Uh, enterprise people making show. Yes. <laughs> All right, in that case... As always, thank you for listening. If you are enjoying this, please tell all your friends and family to join the crew. If you're really enjoying this, please consider leaving us a rating or review or signing up for a subscription on the podcast platform of your choice. If you would like to tell us how we have brightened your day or give us some ideas for the show or tell us about other observer effects besides those in quantum mechanics, shoot us an email at at least there's a dog at gmail.com. And if you are watching along with us, your next viewing assignment is the episode Babel 1. I'm excited. Indeed. Take care of yourselves, and until next time, remember to go wherever your heart will take you. Bye. Bye.